It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Harris Faulkner. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. And Lisa Brady. What sets them apart from each other and the president? Second Republican primary debate is tomorrow night. So I think we can all agree that we have a very divided country. It's going to be neck and neck. Uh, And what I feel about these debates is that it gives our party oxygen and a real opportunity to contrast our vision against Joe Biden. We speak with Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel. I'm Dave Anthony. There's a new surge of illegal border crossings, especially in Texas. Here in Eagle Pass, which is ground zero for this migrant crisis right now, I gotta tell you honestly, I've never seen it this bad. And I'm DeRoy Murdoch. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. America is about to get another chance to learn more about many of the Republicans running for president. Seven qualifying for the second GOP debate, hosted by Fox Business and Univision at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, tomorrow night. But the Republican frontrunner will not be there. It's no wonder that far-left lunatics are getting desperate to stop our movement by any means necessary. Former President Trump highlighting an ABC News Washington Post poll that finds him leading President President Biden in a potential rematch by 10 points. I said, um, here we go, more indictments. Every time we get a good poll, we get indicted. Calling the criminal charges he's facing phony at a campaign event in South Carolina yesterday. Tomorrow, Trump plans to be in Michigan with auto workers. That's where President Biden will be today as a strike continues against Detroit's big three automakers. A trip White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre says had nothing to do with Trump's itinerary. This is a decision uh, to visit the picket line was based off his own desire. This is what the president wanted to do to stand, to stand with auto workers. She also spent part of the White House briefing accusing House Republicans of reckless spending cut proposals. But many Americans say they're hurting under the president's policies in that Washington Post poll, 44 percent say they're worse off financially. The poll's worst showing for any president since 1986, just 30 percent approving of his performance on the economy, leaving a lot of room for Republican challengers. Governors Ron DeSantis and Doug Burgum, former governors Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, former Vice President Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy and Senator Tim Scott, set to share the debate stage in California. This time, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is among the candidates who did not make the cut. I thought the first debate was great. I'd like to see some more time spent on the economy. And I think with Fox Business being a partner, that will be really important to talk about. Ronna McDaniel chairs the Republican National Committee. How Bidenomics is a failure that many people are suffering with the rising cost of gas, of inflation, We just had a poll that said three out of four Americans feel like they're not doing well under this economy. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity to talk about issues that really are affecting every single voter. And I think what they're tuning in to see, how are we going to fix it and what are we going to do to make their lives better? Yeah, And it's interesting, even though polls keep showing the president underwater on the economy, Democrats, including the White House, keep hammering 
Republicans, in particular what they call the extreme MAGA Republicans on a number of issues, including the economy, arguing, you know, they would make cuts that hurt families. What are you hoping the candidates can get into in this debate specifically on the economic issues? How do they counter that and how does it help the party going forward, regardless of who the nominee is? Well, I think one, you know, every family right now in this country is balancing their own household budget and things are costing more and they're having to trim their costs. And I think Republicans need to talk about fiscal responsibility, that they're going to be good stewards over taxpayer dollars and also things like unleashing our energy independence, making sure that we're finding ways to cut the cost of of gas, which is obviously driving up so many of the prices that we see and a host of other things that Republicans will do to to stop the regulations that are cumbersome on small businesses, make sure that we're graduating our kids um, in in uh, fields where they can actually get a job instead of having them languish in college surmounting massive debt. So there's so many things that I hope our candidates can talk about. But I do think when you look at jobs recovered out of the pandemic, it's they've been recovered in Republican states with Republican governors. So we obviously have a winning formula for getting economies going. Former President Trump plans to be in Michigan instead of on the debate stage. Are you concerned about him skipping debates? You know, it's just part of his strategy. I, you know, he, he's been very clear from the beginning and his campaign has that they didn't think they were going to Um, be part of the debates. And, you know, he's the former president. So all the rules are different than any other time. Of course, I wish he were on the debate stage. Uh, I do think being in Michigan uh, is something that is important for our party to talk about Joe Biden's movement towards EV, his dependence on China. He's abandoned the American worker for the CCP. And being from Michigan myself, I think it's really important that we highlight how abysmal Biden's record has been for hardworking Americans. If Trump skips all the debates, though, for instance, and becomes the nominee, is that bad for the primary process in some way? You know, I'm going to let the voters decide that. I mean, they get to make a decision that if they vote for somebody who's skipping the debates and, you know, the RNC has to stay neutral in this process. What I do know, and I've talked to President Trump, is that if he does get the nomination as with every other candidate on that debate stage, they will debate Joe Biden. And I think that's gonna be very key heading into the general election that all of our candidates be willing to get on the debate stage with President Biden. I don't know if he'll do that though. Voters at this point have to think about this primary, but also the general election. Is that a different calculus this time with former President Trump as the front runner? I think everyone should be thinking about winning. Uh, I think we all need to be saying, how are we gonna win the Senate? The Democrats have 23 seats up in 2024. We have the best Senate map we're gonna have in 12 years. So this is our opportunity to take back the Senate. We've gotta hold the House, which will be harder in a presidential year. And then we have to win the White House. So I think everybody going in, no matter who your candidate is and how you feel about them, one of the first questions you should ask yourself is, can this candidate win? A new NBC poll finds that Trump's lead has only grown after four indictments in the primary race. It also finds Nikki Haley beating President Biden in a potential head-to-head matchup compared to a dead heat for a Trump-Biden rematch, in that poll at least. 
Other polls, though, have found voters really don't want a rematch. How concerned are you about that backdrop? You know, I think it's up to the voters to determine the nominee. And the polls right now, the Real Clear Politics average has, you know, President Trump and Biden tied. It has other of our candidates either tied or beating or just below Joe Biden. So I think we can all agree that we have a very divided country. It's going to be neck and neck. Uh, and what I feel about these debates is that it gives our party oxygen and a real opportunity to contrast our vision against Joe Biden. Every Republican on that stage, including President Trump, who's not going to be on the stage, agrees that we should not have a porous border, that we should stop the flow of fentanyl, that we should unleash our energy independence, that we should stop crime from spiraling in our communities, that we should focus on safety, that our kids should get meaningful education with parents having a say. These are all things we agree on. So I think it's a great contrast uh, to have this opportunity to have this conversation with the American people during this debate process versus what Joe Biden's putting forward and doubling down on his bad economic record by embracing Bidenomics, which I think is a very negative word in most homes. I wanted to ask you one other question about that new NBC poll. It found an enthusiasm gap for Democrats compared to Mm -hmm. 2020, but it still had President Biden with some big leads in some of his key target groups, including young voters and black voters. If Trump is not the GOP nominee, how much more concerned would you be about Republican turnout and enthusiasm? Enthusiasm is such a huge gauge. And I I still think it's too early on that front because they're not running a full-throated campaign and getting uh, their mechanisms up and their infrastructure running and, and running those ads that will get voters engaged. So I still think it's a little early, but I do think enthusiasm is key. And I think people who wanted Biden, they could say he could be all things to all people when he was running from the basement in 2020, but now he has a record and it's a failing record. And so I think that enthusiasm has gone down because they've seen what he's done as president and it's not what they voted for. One of the issues that stands out with many voters or seems to at least and a possible distinguishing factor between some candidates, uh, even on the Republican side, is abortion. How important will the eventual nominee's position on abortion be for the party? And how is it possible to unify voters around that position? I think we have to talk about abortion. You know, I'm a, I'm a woman who's roughly or almost exactly the same age as Roe v. Wade. So, you know, this is something that is part of our culture. And we have to be able as a party to talk about it in a compassionate way, explaining and articulating that, of course, You know, we want things like life-saving care for miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies. And we believe that there should be a a limit, a humane limit when a baby feels pain. And we should be able to have these conversations. And I do think it's important to to put money behind where we stand and not allow Democrats to define us and, and misdefine us and lie about us. So I think that's important. But I also think it's important to ask Democrats. What is your limit? When do you think it's a bad idea? Do you think eight months, nine months, six months, uh, when a baby feels pain is a limit that we should, as a civilized country, uh, embrace as a standard, that we should not be having abortions um, past that that moment a baby feels pain? I think we need to have a conversation about it. It's not going away. Democrats don't really have anything else to run on. So they're going to put all their money on this issue and try and confuse voters. So we have to be ready. How are you feeling at this point about money? not only fundraising, but about how money is being spent 
for the Republican Party versus, you know, what the Democratic Party is spending money on at this point in the campaigns? Well, this is where the Democrats have a little bit of an advantage on the presidential because they essentially have their nominee. And our candidates are splitting those resources right now to win a primary, right? And they're not focused on how do I get people on the permanent absentee voter roll in Pennsylvania? How do I make sure that we're getting our ballot harvesting operations set up in Nevada and California? So those are things that the RNC does. And right now the candidates are really uh, raising money for the primary. And that's where I think the party is so, so important. If you want to support, go to GOP.com. But I do think that's where the Democrats will have an advantage because they only have one candidate to focus on right now. What do you say to any Republican voters? Um, and again, it's it's early, over a year away to the general election, but what do you say to any Republican voters who are concerned about the state of the race, the future of the party, and and all of the attacks that are coming from Democrats, not just on individual Republicans, but on the party as a whole? I think voters should be very optimistic about the map we have ahead of us. You know, the RNC isn't just presidential. We're also Senate and House. And the the candidates we've had in California that helped get the Senate, they're up and running. Get the House. I mean, they're up and running. We have great Senate candidates that have announced in states like West Virginia, Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania this week. We really have an opportunity to take back the Senate and take back the White House. So I think The only thing that will stand in our way is letting ourselves get dissuaded or discouraged by media who's never going to be on our side. Right. So get engaged, get in the fight. This is absolutely winnable uh, and make sure that you stay until the end, because the only way we lose is if people do disengage. In the meantime, the second Republican primary debate coming up tomorrow night, hosted by Fox Business and Univision out in California at the Reagan Library. You can go to foxnewsradio.com to listen or get more information. Special coverage will begin starting at 7 p.m. Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is DeRoy Murdoch with your Fox News commentary coming up. There has been another surge at the border. Sunday into Monday, there were about 11,000 migrants encountered crossing into the U.S. illegally. The most in a 24-hour period, we are told, in recent memory. Republican Congresswoman Monica Dela Cruz from Texas tells Fox... Americans are sick and tired of it. It is not safe for migrants and it's not safe for Americans. This is putting a grave stress on local communities, local law enforcement. The U.S. fiscal year doesn't end until Saturday, and we have already surpassed the record number of illegal border crossings from the prior year at about 2.4 million. But President Biden blames former President Trump, telling the Congressional Hispanic Caucus last week, MAGA Republicans, as he calls them, spent four years gutting the immigration system under my predecessor. 
They continue to undermine our border security today, blocking bipartisan reform. He says his administration will spend more to help sanctuary cities like New York, where they're dealing with a housing crisis with so many migrants either bust there or going there. Mayor Eric Adams, a Democrat, has been asking for federal help. New York don't, don't deserve this. The asylum seekers don't deserve this. Now, the president has granted temporary protected status to nearly a half million Venezuelans to let them work legally as many more surge here, mostly going through Texas. Here in Eagle Pass, which is ground zero for this migrant crisis right now, i got to tell you honestly, I've never seen it this bad. Griff Jenkins, our Washington-based Fox News correspondent, has been down to the border many times. And it's an overwhelming, exhausting reality for the Border Patrol agents in Texas DPS down here trying to deal with it. And this is after we had up to 10,000 in a day, and a lot of them in Eagle Pass just last week. I know that the mayor there, who's a Democrat, had declared a state of emergency. That's right. Mayor Salinas simply declared a state of emergency because of the absolute drain of resources. And by the way, you had over the weekend the mayor of El Paso. So Eagle Pass is a tiny little town. In El Paso, it's a much larger town. And you had there, the mayor, Oscar Leeser, saying that they've reached a breaking point. And the reason here in Eagle Pass that they've got state of emergency is because when you talk about the hospitals, migrants from heat exhaustion, going through razor wire, injuring themselves, right? Border Patrol's got to deal with them because they're processing them as soon as they come across. But then they've got to lean on city resources, of which there are few to begin with for this community, and the police having to go out to deal with situations in the town. In Eagle Pass, there's two Border Patrol stations, north and south. Combined between those two stations, on any given day, they've got about 45, no more than 50 total Border Patrol agents to be on duty. So you're talking about, we are averaging 2,000 a day here. So you're talking about, let's say, 50 agents uh, being generous to deal with 2,000 coming through, it's an enormous task. And not only is it an enormous task, to give a little more context, you've got 90% of them doing the processing of the migrants who are crossing, putting themselves in danger. And we had three drownings in three days, but they're turning themselves in. And so the Border Patrol has to process them. Well, that means that they're not, quote, in the field, leaving wide swaths of this Eagle Pass sector wide open for the cartels to move humans that don't want to give themselves up, that don't want to be apprehended, or even worse, contraband like fentanyl. Yeah, the Border Patrol chief, Jason Owens, he posted that smugglers illegally crossing these big groups like you're seeing in Eagle Pass are for financial gain, and they're using them as a distraction to run deadly narcotics and violent criminals into the U.S. So that's what you're talking about, right? In other areas, so they're they're focusing on resources that need to be dealt with for the migrants in Eagle Pass in those areas, and the other areas is where they're smuggling things across. Chief Owens has told me this straight to my face, as did or uh, Chief Ortiz, the previous one, in so many words. Don't think for a second that these cartels don't have better technology, better surveillance than we do of them. Because remember, they have no limited resources. They don't need a congressional approved budget. They're making billions with a B because of the drugs and human trafficking they're doing. And guess what else? They're not playing by anybody's rules. 
And so when they are distracting our Border Patrol, they are doing it with perhaps more success and resources than we are in trying to stop them from coming across. So they know exactly where they're stopping us up and jamming us up, and they know exactly where they can move other stuff. Now, a lot of the migrants that are going through Eagle Pass, they're from Venezuela, correct? That's right. The overwhelming majority of migrants are from Venezuela right now in the Eagle Pass area. And much has been said about you talk to the administration. In fairness to the Biden administration, they say we've taken action. Secretary Mayorkas was just visiting over the weekend in McAllen, Texas, with Honduras' president, saying we're taking actions like sending 800 active troops to the border and, among other things, giving temporary protective status to Venezuelans already here at the behalf of governors and mayors like in New York City who said we need a way for these people to get work authorizations because they're running out of places to put them. And the administration says in the fine print, this does not apply to anybody that arrived here after July of this year. Here's the problem. They're not getting that message in Venezuela. And the people are desperate and they don't have jobs. And they're hearing that this administration favors releases and that now Venezuelans specifically will get TPS, which, by the way, gives them a protection from deportation for up to at least 18 months and the ability to work. And so that's why border officials are saying to us uh, off camera that this is the single greatest pull factor, if you will, incentivizing them to come. And they've traveled thousands of miles and they get across a dangerous river and all they've got is wire. Bet they're not stopping there. And unfortunately, because it's been in the hundreds and people are having heat exhaustion and they've got this razor wire with people with very small children, the Border Patrol had to cut through the wire to let the migrants come through without hurting themselves. And the wire, of course, put there by Texas officials because Governor Abbott's trying to stop them. And so it's created a real mess down here. You've talked to migrants for a couple of years now. You mentioned being down in those other places. You've followed caravans. You've gone north with them. They are all seeking a better life. I mean, we all want that. It, it must make it difficult for you. You see them. You hear their stories. You also hear that there are people who want them all sent back, deported right away. It's got to be hard. It's devastating because they're human beings, Dave. And, you know, I'm a father of two daughters. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for those daughters. And, you know, it breaks your heart that, A, they've been sold a false promise that from both cartels and their interpretation of this administration's policies, that all they have to do is get here to get what they hope to be that better life. And as we know, many are robbed. Some women are indeed raped going through that jungle. It's a treacherous journey. And if none of that happens... They also have to deal with just the simple hardships of upping everything you have and just moving to an unknown future. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you do. I have kept up with a handful of them, and some have sent me pictures even when they've gotten to relatives that already existed here. One grandmother that was struggling in the river and during a live shot a year or so ago, I actually helped her because she was right behind me in the bank, and I wasn't going to let a grandmother drown. Helped her just get to the shore, and the Border Patrol took her in custody. She made it wow. to Orlando, Florida with her family. Wow. But it does really, you know, it's just a snapshot of millions of the same story of desperation and a false hope of getting here. But at the end of the day, when they do see that those that went before them made it, 
they say, hey, it's worth it, let's take the risk. Yeah, because they're allowed in, right? I mean, there's really, they're detained, but then they're processed and then they're, they're, they're gone, right? They're just wherever they can get to in America. Well, that's right. And, you know, look, again, this administration, it is accurate to say that this is an administration that favors the catch and release policy rather than the immediate deportation policy, which was that of the previous administration, the Trump administration. Right. That was more of a remain in Mexico, right, as you wait for your asylum to process. Exactly. And the reason why remain in Mexico worked is because the migrants were having to spend extended periods of time in places like Tijuana, in Juarez, in Matamoros, dangerous, difficult border towns and cities in Mexico. And they did not like that. So they stopped coming because they didn't want to end up stuck there for weeks or months or even in some cases years on end. And, you know, there was tough talk. I was in Brownsville, Texas, when Title 42 ended. And uh, you may remember I was down there. Secretary Mayorkas came down with the Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz. I interviewed Ortiz. And the takeaway of that moment was a statement made by Secretary Mayorkas that he said to the wider world, and specifically to migrants south of the border, do not come. If you do not have a lawful basis to be in the U.S., you will not be granted asylum and you will be immediately deported. But the reality is they haven't done that. And so they keep coming. No one disagrees, not even the administration privately when you talk to them, this is not sustainable. Is that why? I mean, you're talking about May, Title 42 ends, the COVID policy at the border. Numbers go down. There are much fewer encounters with migrants after that point. The Biden administration hailed that, saying that our policies are working. But now we're back to the numbers we had right before Title 42 expired. So is that why the message gets out that you can, you're can you still allowed in? Well, in part, yes. And I think answering the question of why is a difficult one that I think because of our reporting and experience by Bill Malusia and I and others, you know, we can point to some concrete parts of the answer as to why. One is that the message has continued to be we favor release. And so they see more and more being uh, released. And so they keep coming. The other is weather. Right. So Tal 42 ended in May, and then we had the hottest months, you know, June, July. Those are hot months, and so that's part of it seasonally anyway. And then I think you also have the fact that they had had this app, the CBP-1 app, where migrants could go, uh, you know, legally on an app and apply for asylum and then be admitted with a parole of up to two years for their case to play out to get to a court hearing with the immigration judge. They could legally do it south of the border, come through a port of entry and be released in the country. But the reality is there's only so many options every day. It's a difficult system, and they don't want to deal with that if it's going to put them in some sort of electronic queue and not guarantee them when they know if they just simply come across a river, they're actually going to succeed. They've gone back to just doing that because the numbers are so high. Griff Jenkins, our Washington-based Fox News correspondent, back down at the border in Eagle Pass, Texas. Great to talk to you again. Thank you so much. Dave, great to be with you as always.
listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. The Roy Murdoch. What's on your mind? Ronald Wilson Reagan asked the best question a candidate ever posed to voters. Are you better off than you were four years ago? The Republican standard bearer urged them to ponder as he closed the October 1980 debate between the final White House contenders. One week later, the American people answered Reagan's query by overwhelmingly electing him president of the United States. California's former governor beat incumbent Democrat Jimmy Carter 50.7% to 41%. Where it counts, Reagan buried Carter beneath an electoral college avalanche, 489 to 49 If Donald J. Trump asked Reagan's question today, he surely would secure the Oval Office once again. On September 14th in Largo, Maryland, President Joe Biden mocked his predecessor's domestic record as Maganomics and called it, quote, more extreme than anything America's ever seen before, unquote. Biden meant this as an insult. Pity for him, this catchy word captures so much that the previous management got right. Maganomics trumps Bidenomics. By most every measure, Americans were better off four years ago than they are now. Mid-September 2019 was six months before Trump declared the COVID-19 state of emergency on March 13, 2020. As social scientists would say, the CCP virus was the most confounding variable in memory. Rather than judge Trump's performance by November 2020 statistics, four years before Election Day 2024, but during a once-per-century global pandemic beyond his control, it is fairer to compare things between today and where they stood four years before COVID escaped the Wuhan Institute of Virology from whence FBI Director Christopher Wray and the U.S. Department of Energy both believe it most likely slithered. Trump trounces Biden on one meaningful measure after another. Biden could praise the financial markets, which have appreciated during this interval. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has grown 27.2% in the last four years. The S&P 500 Index is 48% higher, and the NASDAQ has advanced 67.7%. These impressive figures are less a tribute to Biden's economic prowess than they are a testament to the continuing benefits of the Trump GOP tax cuts and regulatory relief initiative, which Biden has yet to suffocate completely. These figures otherwise are grim. Inflation-adjusted annual household income has shrunk 4.7%. One pound of ground beef, 33.1% higher. A gallon of regular gasoline is up 46.6%. A dozen eggs cost an additional 47.8%. A 30-year fixed-rate mortgage has risen 100%. Year-on-year inflation has grown 117.6%. Team Trump had plenty to say about this. Here's the truth. Americans are better off financially under President Trump, his campaign stated. Quote, they see Bidenomics for what it is, inflation, taxation, submission, and failure. The Trump communique continued, quote, Biden spent an unprecedented $11.5 trillion at a time when there was neither a war nor a national emergency. This included over $4 trillion on three massive socialist spending bills crammed with every ridiculous and dangerous idea of the most fringe far-left lunatics in Congress ever dreamed up, unquote. All told, Meganomics is no slander. It's a slogan. President Trump and his supporters should start printing it in bold colors on banners, buttons, and bumper stickers. I'm DeRoy Murdoch. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
Hey everyone, it's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.